The church in Corinth was divided. Some people loved and followed Paul, while others followed a guy named Apollos. Now, why were there divisions and who was Apollos? Well, he was a Jew from Alexandria, Egypt, and he was described as eloquent and competent in the scriptures. In AD 54, he traveled to Ephesus where he taught in the synagogue. Priscilla and Aquila heard him speak, but they recognized that his teaching was incomplete because he only understood the baptism of John. Soon after, he began a preaching ministry and traveled all throughout Achaia and actually ended up in Corinth. It's apparent that he had these natural gifts and was admired by the Corinthians, but that admiration soon turned into division where some followed Paul and others followed Apollos. So Paul deals with this right here in 1 Corinthians. Now the last mention of Apollos is in Titus 3, where Paul asks everyone to give Apollos everything that he needs, and he's finally regarded as a faithful servant of the gospel. Oh, one other thing. Some people believe that Apollos was the author of Hebrews, but hey, that's another historical minute. So there you go. A little bit about Apollos, and that's enough today for our historical minute. Let us pray. God, you're an amazing God, and we love you so much. And we just thank you for just having the privilege of watching these kids just testify before all of us that they love Jesus, that he is their Savior and Lord. Father, may you just kind of, I don't know, fan into flame that passion that they have for him, that love that they have for him. May they see you act in powerful ways as they move forward in life. May they trust your word and so as find peace and, and avoid so much of the complication of life. Father, we just pray that you would be a strength for them always as they go through life. And that's our prayer today. And Father, too, we just pray for everybody else in this place that you would use the word that we go through today, that you would use something in it to touch our hearts, to, to give us comfort, to give us strength, to give us hope in the midst of this crazy world of ours. And so this is our prayer today. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to start off just with a bunch of things. I want to start off thanking our altar guild that in the middle of the service came up and added a whole bunch more uh, communion wear, and I think that's huge. I, I want to thank you for James just for segueing that, making it longer and longer and longer until they got up, which is awesome. I want to thank all the families that, that, and their kids that, that came forward today. I don't know, I mean, it's terrifying, I'm sure, when you're little and coming up here and, and testifying before everybody that you love Jesus, but, but what a cool thing. What a cool thing to hear those words come out of your mouth. What, what a cool thing to know that God's been working in your heart, and, and may God just continue to do awesome things through that, and that's our prayer today, too. So if, you're first, if this is your first time here in a while, we're actually in 1 Corinthians, and we're just, this is kind of a Bible study type of service, and so we're just kind of going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We find ourselves in chapter 3. Oh, and the last thing, did I say this yet? Happy Mother's Day. Did I start with that? Happy Mother's Day, everybody. And from the bottom of my heart, in fact, if we could clap for all the moms. And that's huge because my mom's sitting here. So thanks for doing that. That's really cool. Um, Anyway, we're in 1 Corinthians thir or chapter 3 today, and Paul's beginning a conversation on divisions in the church. And so I'm going to begin there, and then I'm going to kind of segue because I think it has a lot of application for today. It says, but I, br but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as in infants in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready to hear it. And even, though, and even now you are still unready to hear it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? 
See, much of chapters 1, 2, and even into 3, Paul's just talking about there's this huge division in this church of First Corinthians, or in, in Corinth. They're a mess. They're, they're, there's pastoral division in terms of they're following Paul or they're following Apollos. Some are even following Peter still. Some people are just so mature they say, no, I just follow Christ. But there's just like this huge division in the church, and so divisive was it. It wasn't just like they were calling up before church to see who's preaching. They were just divided. They didn't even want to hear the other people. They had somehow lost focus of the God who loves them. They had somehow lost focus of the purpose of gathering together, and they had gotten consumed with everything else. And so one of the biggest principles I just want to give you guys, especially the confirmands, is what Paul's talking about for these first three chapters is really something called the centrality of Christ. You've got to keep the main thing the main thing as you go through life. There's got to be a pecking order in your life of things that you love the most. And God, and Paul are just saying, it's got to be God. He's got to be number one. And if he's number one, then everything else in your life sort of starts to make sense. Everything else in your life sort of starts to go better. It just does. In fact, it's God, and then it's spouse, and then it's kids, and then it's just, there's a whole order that you go through. But the centrality of Christ. And he's talking about division in the church, but to be honest, it's broader than that. When you think about keeping Jesus first, one of the first things that you're thinking about is keeping his word first, aren't you? That's how we know about Jesus, that this book right here is not just something that you, you read to put your kids to sleep or whatever, right? But it's something that, that God gives living words to, that, that he's speaking to you in the midst of your life right now, that these words are inerrant, that these words are from God, somehow passed through his disciples and, and the writers of Scripture to give us hope and encouragement and strength and wisdom and forgiveness as we go through life, that this is our connection with God, that this is the blueprint, the manual that we need to study, right, to make it through this life, to be with him forever. All right. So if he's number one and his truth has got to be part and parcel of that, I'm just going to start at the very edge, and I'm going to work all the way back to where these guys are. But that first and foremost starts in putting God above our culture. That's what he was talking about in, first, in, in chapter 2, right? When he's talking about the foolishness of the world and the foolishness of the cross. He's actually talking about the wisdom of the cross, God's wisdom, his truth, being more important, more wise than all the stuff that we learn in the world. You know, it's an interesting thing when I have my kids go to school, I said, you know, especially with some of the different things that they teach, and I said, guys, the school's going to do their best job in teaching you what the world is apart from who God is. They've rejected who God is, and so they're going to give you their best guesses on how the world was created and how the world should work and how the world should fit in all sorts of different ways, how we should treat each other, how we should think, all sorts of different things. But they're basically doing it separated from the wisdom that we get in his word. It's just fair in a lot of different subjects, am I right? And so it, that was just a perspective that I gave my kids so that they could study whatever it is and get a sense of, okay, this is the best guess without God, but I still have God. He's still the truth, the ultimate truth in my life. If you don't hold to God's ultimate truth, then you can't help but give way to some of the wisdom of the world. Some of the wisdom of the world right now is totally contrary to the pages of Scripture. I mean, it seems good. There's some really smart people that believe in some of these different things. Hugely popular proponents uh, in media, in Hollywood, in sports, or whatever it might be. But it's devoid of what's ultimately true. If you don't, at some point, say that Jesus is the most important thing, the centrality of Christ, that his truth is not the most important truth, it's easy to give yourself away to some of the world's rationale. 
And that's what we see happening in our culture. It's infiltrated its way into the church, and it involves things all the way from abortion to sexual <laughs> deviancy to, to, to uh, all, uh, let's see, to, to, to evolution, to all sorts of different things that the world teaches that are contrary to what Scripture shares. And I know there's, there's all sorts of media right now that's encouraging us to think one way, separate from God's truth. But one of the first pieces that Paul shares as he walks through the Corinthians is God's got to be number one. It helps give you perspective for the rest of life, doesn't it? It helps you understand what's truly good and what's not good. It helps you understand what's helpful and what's not helpful. And when we lose sight of that, it's easy to give way to the world and to think all of a sudden that this is wisdom. It's easy then to judge God's truth and say that it's wrong because we've lost sight of what's ultimately important. All right, so let me bring that in just a little bit to the church. As you walk through the church, there's all sorts of things that you hear sometimes on Sunday mornings depending on the church that you go through. And one of the big things that you hear today is something about works righteousness. It's not even so often taught in churches. It's just something that's assumed I guess, by the culture about church. But it's this idea that I have to work my way to heaven. In Scripture, through the pages of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, we talk about grace. That we're forgiven because of Jesus, not because of us. That when it comes to going to heaven, it's because of Jesus dying on the cross, not us being good enough. I have a buddy, and I keep sharing this story, but it's going to be new for some of you, but he, he came to faith later in life, and he came back to some friends that were Christian before, but he hadn't seen him in a while, and we said, hey, I'm going to church now, and they said, awesome, so you're going to be in heaven, and he goes, I think I've been good enough. He came back to Bible study, he told me this story, and I said, oh, buddy, you're not even close to being good enough, but Jesus was, Right? It's Jesus that was good enough. It's Jesus that makes us perfect. It's our faith in Jesus that gives us entrance into heaven. It's by grace through faith. But when we lose sight of that, we can end up trying to work our way through life thinking that we have to be good enough. It's totally unattainable. And it leads to, to kind of a hopeless feeling as you're going through life trying to think that you could measure up to God's unattainable stuff. Jesus says, I forgive you and I love you. Again, the only way we keep to this is by holding to God's truth above stuff that we hear or read on the internet. I'm going to bring it even closer. There was a church uh, to a church that had an amazing growth spurt for a little bit of a time. They were able to, to save all sorts of money so that they could put new carpet down in their sanctuary. They were so stoked. They couldn't believe it. God has been so good. He'd been moving people. People were coming to faith. It was awesome. So they put a little committee together, and one half of the committee wanted green carpet, and the other half of the committee wanted red carpet. And somehow this, this I don't know, division within the building committee it infiltrated its way into the church until about half the church wanted the green carpet and half the church wanted the red carpet. The story goes on that they couldn't find agreement, that they started vilifying the other side, that they started saying horrible things about the other side, both sides saying these things, that it divided the church because they couldn't find an agreement between red carpet or green carpet. Sometimes in the church even, right? Even if we hold to God's truth, even if there's no variance in his, our trust in his word, we can get so consumed on the green carpet or the red carpet that we forget what church is all about, right? We forget what Jesus came to do. You know what church is about? It's about coming and hearing a message that gives you comfort or strength or hope or forgiveness. It comes to, it's a place to come and remind yourself that you have a God that loves you more than anybody else in this whole world who cares for you, that pursues you with his love. It's not about the red or green carpet because who cares what carpet, color the carpet is? 
whether the blinds are up and down, whether there's seats in the back of the church, whether there's a hundred different million things that people get preoccupied or concerned with when they come to church. They start getting so fixated on the thing that they objectify the people and they lose sight of God. Do you see how difficult it is as you go through life to keep the centrality of Christ? to keep things about main things. We've had a political season, and this isn't even about God, but we've had a political season that's been so divisive that we've focused on the politics and lost sight of the relationships in our life. We've put more value on your opinion about Democrat or Republican than we do on if you're our sister or brother or friend or neighbor or whatever. I've watched people toss away relationships that they've had for 20 years because for some reason that wasn't of more value than this dumb conversation on politics that nobody can win. We lose sight of what's important all the way through life. We get fixated on the non-important things all the way through life. And when we do, Paul says, it causes division. In this first part of chapter 3, he's going through, and so he says, hey guys, when I came to you, I was just giving you milk, right? I mean, basic stuff. I just needed you to know Jesus. I mean, I couldn't get any deeper than that because there's all this other stuff that seemed to be something you would fixate on. I've left now. I've sent letters. I've sent people, and you're still fixated on all the dumb stuff instead of Jesus. You're dividing yourselves, ruining relationships. People are losing faith in Christ because you can't seem to remember that it's about Jesus. Okay, and the reason Jesus matters, right, is because he is the ticket. He is the one that gave forgiveness so that we can be in heaven with him one day. And that's why, I mean, that's why we should live with a focus on where we're going to spend our eternity. God says, I gave him to give you everything, not just salvation so that you can be with me in heaven one day, but to have someone with you walking through life with you reminding you that I've got you, reminding you that I care about what you're going through, reminding you that I have power to help and to insert myself in different places, reminding you that my ways are some ways that are designed to protect you, not to make your life more miserable, reminding you of what's truly important. You know, so often as we go through life, I think we just forget main things. And so for the compromise today, I just, I don't want you to ever forget because all your family and everybody else here, just we forget from time to time. And when we lose focus, our lives become more complicated. When we lose focus, we stop remembering that there's a God who's there for us. And we lose hope. And we lose strength. And we lose this ability to keep on keeping on. We lose the ability to love one another like he's called us to. We fracture relationships. We dispose of things that are important and on and on. So he continues on and says, hey, look, so in verse 5, so what then is Apollos and what then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the messenger assigned to each, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So I'll give you, a, I'll try to give you a, an example of this. Imagine being at a church and there's just been one pastor for a while and you guys have appreciated his words, you've grown in faith, you, you're starting to do studies. I mean, you, you just find encouragement when you come through the doors. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, they'll pray for you. You've been in small groups with them. You've done mission work with them. It's just an awesome church and you love it. You've grown to a place now where you can bring on an associate pastor. 
man, he's just better. Like, he's just a better preacher. I mean, he's cuter. He has all his hair. I mean, just imagine that, right? So he gets up and he starts preaching, and I'm telling you, you're like, man, this guy's good. I really like what he's doing. He's preaching it, man. He's bringing it every Sunday. This is fun. I love it. Oh, but the other guy's preaching today. And pretty soon you're calling in advance to make sure that the associate's preaching, not the main preacher's preaching. And you've forgotten all the growth that you experienced prior to the associate getting there. And now it's just about the associate. And that's what happened in this church. Paulus was this amazing preacher. But they got to a place where they despised Paul's teaching. Did they not grow? Did they not learn when that other guy was preaching? Absolutely they did. Somehow, even though they had the truth, even though they, had, they, they clung to the things that Scripture said, even though they were in church, even though they were surrounded by brothers and sisters, they got so fixated on who was preaching or who they were listening to that they robbed themselves of everything that Paul was bringing to the table. They no longer could hear his truths, the truths that God had given him as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Do you see how insidious this division can get? It can keep you, it can stop up your ears so you no longer hear what it is that God's trying to give to you in this life. We have totally done that with politics in America. We've lost sight of each other to such an extent that it's all about which way this way's going or which way that way's going or who's in charge of this or who's in charge of that. But we've forgotten to love one another. And it's killing our culture today. And when we lose sight of that in the church, one of the, the refuges, it, to be honest, in this culture where you again hear that there's hope, where you find out that there's a God who loves you, where there's strength, where there's forgiveness to be found, to be honest, all of those things are things that are desperately needed in our culture with suicides off the charts, with drug abuse, with alcohol abuse, with all the abuses off the charts. We need a place that reminds us that there's still something that makes sense, still a God who loves us, still a God who can strengthen us to do right things. When that starts that division starts happening in the church, we destroy people's souls. So Paul's warning against that in powerful ways. Who cares who's preaching, he says. It's God who's doing the work in your hearts. It's God who you need to be listening to. It's God who loves you and wants to forgive. Verse 10, he goes on and says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else built upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Our culture wants to lay all sorts of different foundations on top of Scripture. We want to pretend that these new ideas that we have in our culture are so much more important than anything God says. Is this somehow God wouldn't know better? Is this somehow God didn't create us and nurture us in our mother's wombs? Is if God doesn't understand what works for us as human beings because he created us and put us in this world? As if he somehow is clueless. We make our culture's wisdom, the foolishness of the world, as somehow is preeminent or more important than the things that God says. And then, and then in arrogance, we sit and judge God because of the thing he says. Do you think that complicates our life? Do you think that complicates our world over and over? So now if anyone builds a foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, in other words, important things of the word, or wood and hay and straw, things that will burn up, things that are not of his word, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it, the day being the day of judgment when God comes. 
You know, every preacher that gets up and stands before you has to give an account of his preaching before God. I pray that people would more and more cling to the word of God and not go off on these different tangents in life. They're not doing anybody any favors when they go off on these tangents. The thing that rescues us, the thing that gives us hope, the things that connects us to our God is his truth over and over. So each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself might be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's holy temple is holy, and you are that temple." Even then, Paul goes on from the church and says, hey, each one of you that God has breathed his truth in, each one of you that can stand up like the confirmants today and say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. You've come kind of a mini temple before the Lord, right? His spirit is in you, working on you night and day to bring you to Jesus, to connect you to his truth, to give you hope, to give you forgiveness, to give you strength as you go through this life. We're sinners and we blow it a lot, let's be honest. But it's that spirit that draws us again to God's forgiveness and strength over and over and over. So when you're dealing in church, it's not about what kind of worship we do. It's not about what kind of chairs we have up or down in the back or if the lines are up and down or what color the carpet is. It's about connecting people's hearts to the God who loves them. (laughs) I'll tell you how, how, how pastors forget this in massive ways. So I was in Texas, and it was a big conference, right, of all the pastors there, and we're getting ready to do communion. Um, when about a, a, I don't know, a quarter of the pastors decide that they can't possibly commune with their brothers in ministry, the other three quarters, because they do a different kind of worship than they do. When I say worship, you're thinking, whoa, did they change the truth? No, just music, like one like traditional and one like contemporary, and the, these in this camp couldn't possibly understand how anybody could have contemporary can I tell you, God doesn't care what kind of music or kind of tunes you use when you're in worship in any kind of setting. He just cares about the truth that's being proclaimed. But these pastors in this circuit in Texas, got, or this conference in Texas, got so consumed with the non-essentials that they couldn't even worship, commune with their other brothers who are doing ministry for the Lord. Now, by the way, the whole uh, topic of that conference was worship. styles of worship and trying to show that each style had merit before the Lord because each style would cling to the truth. But can I tell you what a waste of time that is for a bunch of pastors to come around and to discuss notes on a page? How much more effective could it have been if we got together and tried to think of, man, how can we share Jesus with this community in Houston? Or how can we, how can we bring more churches and, and, and more truth and, and more, I don't know, energy to this place in Fort Worth? Or how can we reach Jesus in these, in these country areas? Or, or how can we spread the word of God more? Because this state needs to hear it. But instead, we're focused on the notes of a page, rendering us almost ineffective toward the grander scheme things that are important in life. And so, confirmants, I'll just share with you today. Keep the main thing the main thing. Lest you lose focus and spin your wheels in a way that is just pointless in life. And instead of spinning your wheels and losing relationships because you're focusing on the wrong things, keep your focus on the God who loves you, on the God who will constantly forgive you, on the God who will walk through life every step with you. 
Focus on him. And all God's people said, amen. Let me pray. God, we love you so much, and we just we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Paul, too, just reminding us, man, not to get so caught up in all the stuff that doesn't matter, but to focus on the one who does. Father, you're the one that gives us strength to love our spouses. You're the one that gives us strength to be patient with our kids. You're the one that gives us strength to, to hold to your truth in the midst of a culture that's going the other way. You're the one that's forgiven us so that we'll be with you forever in heaven. Father, as we go through life, let us never lose sight of just how amazing your love is. And that's our prayer today. We pray it in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.